Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. And in reality, everything that we do, whether it be a call center, whether it be injection molding, assembly, kitting, um, and a whole wealth of things that, that fall in between, are all driven by one singular mission, which is employment of people who are blind. We're visiting today with Reinhard Mabry, President and CEO of Alpha Point. Reinhard discusses the early influences in his life that led him down a path of service to others, tells us about the incredible work they do at Alpha Point to create jobs and opportunity for the visually impaired. Let's go learn more now from Reinhard. All right. Good morning. It's great to see everyone this morning and happy to spend time with longtime, several year friend, Reinhard Mabry, who just have a ton of respect for of the things he does and the things he accomplishes with Alpha Point, an organization he leads uh, that does a lot of work to help the visually impaired create opportunity and create jobs. And he's expanded that across the country really now the impact of, uh, of alpha point, but I'd like to go back further and just talk about your early career, your early influences, you know, what, t- tell us a little bit about the Reinhardt backstory and who all inspired you and what led you to the world of nonprofit. And before we dive into alpha point. Sure. Well, thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. And um, thank you for the opportunity to be able to chat a little bit about what we do and how we do it and hopefully uh, maybe inspire you, if not uh, to uh, get involved with um, the help of people with disabilities, perhaps uh, just be more engaged in nonprofit and community providers uh, in the in the area and, and around the country. Um, so my backstory is, uh, you know, uh, not a not a particularly uh, uh, unique one, but uh, I was born in Vienna, Austria, and was um, adopted at the age of three. Um, I was born to parents that were not prepared for the responsibilities of parenting, and uh, my adoptive parents. Um, were unable to have children and wanted desperately to be able to to share uh, their love. And so uh, I was adopted when I was three and uh, became an American citizen when I was four years old. And uh, we traveled all over the world. And I saw uh, people from all walks of life. Uh, We lived uh, in a lot of third world countries and visited a lot of places where people had very little and very little opportunity. And then, um, uh, so there was probably early on in my life, um, a, a recognition that there are um, people and places that are in difficult uh, straits and that um, people who are blessed with opportunity and bounty and uh, should should give back. And so uh, for whatever reason, um, that, that always uh, was in the back of my mind. So whatever I was gonna do in a career, there was gonna have to be some element of it in which I was gonna be able to do something for the community and for people who um, were not in the same, uh, didn't have the same a wealth of opportunity that I'd been granted and enjoyed. So I think that led me to nonprofits. Um, I went to school at Florida State University and got an undergrad in political science, which as most anybody knows who's had a political science degree is it leaves you eminently qualified to ask somebody if they'd like more fries with their order. So uh, I went back and got an MBA and, uh, and then uh, my first real job, if you will, was uh, business development, and it happened to be business development for nonprofits, uh, finding nonprofits that employ people with disabilities, uh, jobs, um, and through business uh, with city, state, government contracts in the state of Florida. And we were really successful. We secured a lot of uh, uh, contracts for nonprofits like Goodwill Industries, Easter Seals, ARCs, and the like. And then uh, that really led me to um, that particular element of the disability field 
that was really uh, focused on employment and training, wanted to work closer to an agency, be closer, if you will, to the ground of, of actually serving people and, and uh, working with them day to day. So I went to work for an agency in North Carolina um, and then was recruited to come to Kansas City. And I've been here for uh, close to I think, 17 years. So that idea of jobs and employment in the nonprofit space sounds like it's been woven in all throughout your career then. Yeah, in some respects or another, it has been. And, and um, it, it's been an exciting thing. You know, the unemployment rate among people with disabilities and, and among people who are blind is, is greater than 70%. And you think about the word depression when the unemployment rate was 25%. Um, you had Hoovervilles, you had, you know, people in tents uh, on, the, on the National Mall, and you had bread lines and soup kitchens. Um, you know, when you start talking about a 70% unemployment rate, you're talking about Somalia, you're talking about Sudan, um, and you're talking about a breakdown of, of uh, civil, uh, civil society. And, and yet, this is a population that, um, that we largely walk past and don't think about and don't listen to. These are folks that are on the sidelines and would like to be in the game. And, um, and all they want is an opportunity. And uh, businesses that hire people with disabilities find they are remarkably capable and talented. They are incredibly loyal um, and they have a tremendous work ethic. They just need to be given an opportunity. But by and large, most of the business community hasn't, hasn't seen it that way. They see them as a challenge to incorporate into the, the workforce. Um, and so our, our job and this field that I'm in um, is about breaking down those, those walls of, of assumption, largely uh, false assumptions, and do so by demonstrating the capabilities and capacity of people with disabilities um, and the work and the work product that they can produce. And so that's what we do. And um, hopefully do it well, and hopefully we have uh, more folks interested in in wanting to work with us and and uh, buy our things and employ the people that we would like to place in the jobs in there in the community. You've got an amazingly wide range of work that's going on there. There's manufacturing, there's assembly, there's a call center. I mean, it, you, there's no stereotypical boundaries that you can't overcome there. Yeah, so, so Alpha Point is, is uh, one of a handful of organizations across the country that really have diversified um, business under one roof. And, and I, I think for, for business leaders that uh, maybe, they, maybe they started a business or maybe they've, they've been in a business and it, 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 it seems like they're um, extremely uh, narrow and specific and, and to be experts in what they do, they come into our building, look at us and, and, and wonder what we're going to do when we grow up. And in reality, everything that we do, whether it be a call center, whether it be injection molding, assembly, kitting, um, and a whole wealth of things that, that fall in between are all driven by one singular mission, which is employment of people who are blind. Um, when Alpha Point was founded in 1911, the, the, the things that were being done across the country that employed people who are blind at that time were all tactile jobs. They were all things that, that people who were sighted perceived that people who are blind would be good at and could do uh, effectively. So they were repetitious. They were um, highly tactile, highly touch oriented. You didn't have, have to see to be able to do it. And so one um, bedrock of products that were produced across the country by people who are blind were brooms. Um, they were, you know, just the, the old uh, simple uh, corn uh, husk broom. And they were made in, in factories all across the country by people who are blind. Alpha Point was an organization that did that. Um, and then over time, we diversified. We recognized that not every blind person wants to make brooms. Some people would like to do other things and they'd like to use uh, uh, their skills in other ways. And so 
we really grew, grew this enterprise to include retail, e-tail, uh, call center, um, molding, um, and a whole host of things. And then our goal was for people who are blind who may start at an entry-level job, move up, and perhaps become uh, business owners, perhaps go back to school, uh, perhaps go into another industry. Um, and, and that's really the way that we view the business even today, 100 years after we were founded. Schumbach can do that. Let's walk through some of the history of Alpha Point because it's a great long old history of impact on the community. Yeah, there aren't a lot of uh, nonprofits or a lot of organizations that last 100 years. Um, and this one has been around for, for more than 110. Uh, it was founded in 1911 by blind people. Um, so it was a, a group of 30 blind people met at Bud Park. Uh, in Kansas City, and they said, we need to solve the challenges of the day for people who are blind. At that time, it was housing, transportation, and employment. Not really any different than today. And so early on, the organization uh, really pursued two objectives. One was housing. Um, they they uh, had the, the means to be able to rent a small house uh, which ended up becoming the Catherine Hale Home for Blind Women and was in operation until 1980. And, uh, and that uh, found a, a refuge, if you will, for, uh, for women, many widows, uh, or, or women who were unable to be homemakers and, and therefore were at that time uh, not considered so uh, uh, great uh, wedding prospects. And so they... Um, they lived in this home and uh, were cared for and, and uh, had a, a thriving enterprise. And in fact, they were actually working uh, in the basement of the home doing work for the army during World War II. I've got pictures of that. Uh, the other uh, aspect of the enterprise was, was about employing people. And, and they started off with eight blind men and, an eight, and a blind supervisor, Edgar Shaper, and they started uh, doing two things. They, they made brooms and they cane chairs. Uh, and if you know what can, can, chair caning is, uh, it's a very, very old uh, skill and, and you don't see a whole lot of chairs being made that way anymore, but that was how they did it at the time. Um, then the, the big milestone for Alpha Point and for organizations like it across the country was during the Great Depression, and during the New Deal, uh, a piece of legislation was passed and signed into law by FDR, who himself uh, was uh, restricted to a wheelchair, um, having contracted polio. Um, and he signed this law that created um, a set-aside program within the federal government that if the government bought certain products, that people who are blind could make, um, they would buy them from nonprofit organizations across the country that employed them. And that law remains on the books today. It was amended in 1971 to include other disabilities, but nevertheless, it creates a market for nonprofits that employ people with disabilities to, um, to buy their goods and their services and thereby employ people who are blind close and people with disabilities. And close to 50,000 people, 50,000 Americans with disabilities, including 7,000 veterans are employed in this program each year. And um, the government buys close to $4 billion worth of goods and services um, from this program and from this network of nonprofits across the United States. And that creates jobs and it uh, uh, demonstrates to the business community the capacity and capability of a underrepresented uh, community in the workforce. That's awesome. We have a question here from uh, Steve. So let's jump over to Steve. Sure, Steve. Hey, Reinhardt. Good to see you. 
And Randy, thanks again for a great program on lessons in leadership and blessings to the families of the Powells and the Mabrys. Um, Reinhardt, so talk a little bit about uh, your style of leadership, the uh, image of leadership for not-for-profits is mission-driven, low-risk. That's generally maybe too broad of a brush, but a good place to start for you to describe your style of leadership. Um, so, you know, it's 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 really interesting that that is oftentimes the perception, and in fact, I think reality of, of many nonprofits is, is that uh, the boards that are recruited to uh, oversee the organizations tend to be risk averse. Uh, they tend to think of the organization's assets as, um, as, as something to preserve um, at all costs. Um, and, it, and it leaves management oftentimes with um, maybe a very narrow lane to operate in. And um, you know, nonprofits are perceived as, as underrepresented, undercapitalized, um, and, and tend to be risk averse. Um, when I came to Alpha Point, um, I knew we needed to, to, um, to change that mindset and to uh, take risks like any business owner would in order to be able to grow the enterprise and grow out of, uh, if you will, our, our um, very limited um, um, lanes upon which to create jobs. And so we really, I started with the board um, and having regular conversations about how to, um, how to look at risk differently and really start to um, pursue opportunities. And that, that included uh, acquisitions, M&A. It, it included um, R&D, which we, we now um, own our own intellectual property, um, developing uh, medical devices, uh, tourniquets and splints and things that like that that are used on the battlefield today, um, and a whole host of other things. And so um, my style of leadership is, is one of um, really encouraging people to take chances, take risks, try things, um, without an expectation that you're going to get uh, knocked down for for making a mistake, uh, you know. Obviously, uh, if, if people um, you know do things improperly and you know treat one another badly, that's a different circumstance. But we want people to try things. We want people to take risk and 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 pursue opportunities. And so we really try to create an environment in that regard. The other thing I think that for me anyway, ask me about leadership and my style, is I, I really believe very passionately in the value and importance of the, of the individual. Um, you know, an organization really isn't, you know, a, a building, it isn't, uh, you know, necessarily the products it makes, it's the people uh, that work for them. And so uh, I try very hard to know everyone by name. Uh, I try to, in any building that I'm in, uh, wherever we are, I do a, a walkabout at least once a day and try to engage the people uh, there uh, and try to engage them personally so that uh, uh, the mystique of the job title um, is, is kind of done away with. And we're just people, we just have different jobs within the company. Um, th those are two really important aspects of, of how I like to engage the company. Well, I love that style and that description, uh, Reinhardt. Um, numbers aren't the only measurement of success in leadership. Uh, we get that. Um, but uh, I'm just wondering if you, or would you share the growth in the number of employees and your top line revenue just as an indicator? Uh, yeah, I, I hope this it comes across braggy when you do it that way. But uh, so so when I came to Alpha Point, we were uh, right around 20 million in revenue. Um, and, a, and about half of that revenue was um, our, our retail business. Um, and we had about 160 employees 
roughly a hundred, here over a hundred maybe were blind. Uh, today we are 400 employees, uh, about 65 million in revenue, um, operations in New York, uh, Kansas City. I have employees in nine states, I have board members in seven states, um, and, and we are a greatly diversified enterprise from what we were doing then. We're uh, among the top 25 largest manufacturers in Kansas City. We're uh, top 10 nonprofits in Kansas City, uh, according to Ingram's magazine. So uh, th those are measures of, of maybe competition, if you will. Uh, but the real success, I think, and probably the one most important ones for me is when we first came, when I first came to Alpha Point, we were serving about 250 to 300 people who are blind a year. Uh, today, we're serving close to 3,000. Um, we are connecting with people from as young as two years old to end of life. Uh, we offer clinical services that we never offered before, uh, helping people who have uh, low vision. Um, maybe they're not um, um, diagnosed as legally blind, uh, but they're having real significant difficulty with vision and it's affecting their function, their ability to really have a, a meaningful and, and a productive life and, and live independently. And so our connection uh, to people has magnified about tenfold. I'm really, really proud of that. You know, one of the things you have done there that's a remarkable model, um, and especially the last two years, nonprofits who are all struggling to reach out and raise money. The last two years, they lost galas, they lost golf tournaments, they lost all of the traditional ways that they were able to raise money. And you've really perfected this model of the for-profit business within the nonprofit to de-risk yourself some from fundraising. Talk about how that model works and how you've aligned that with the purpose and, and just what's the genesis of that and how might another nonprofit think about those opportunities? Uh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I, I, um, I will say as, as you started talking about uh, uh, fundraisers that, that didn't happen uh, during 2020 and 2021, my blood pressure went up because, because obviously every, every nonprofit uh, uh, does, uh, well, good nonprofits do look for the community to, uh, to make donations and meaningful gifts uh, to the organization to help them. Um, if not, in my case, um, I, I don't ask the community to pay my light bill. Um, I, I think that's maybe the, the difference. A lot of nonprofits, uh, they are really living hand to mouth. They're organizations that really 60 to 70 if not more percent of their budget has to be raised every year. That is a tremendous uh, hamster wheel of, of uh, challenge for any organization. It puts pressure on the board. It puts pressure on the management team. It really drives everybody within the organization top to bottom uh, to really live very, very hand to mouth. And um, it, it can be incredibly uh, stressful. And so um, the successful business models in the nonprofit space that I work with, and Alpha Point is, is just one of, of uh, many in this field, have really seen um, the business and the, the um, earned income uh, business activities as a means to get off of that hamster wheel, to allow us the, if you will, the time to be able to be thoughtful about programs that are needed in the community that are relevant to the community um, and to be able to uh, fulfill our mission um, in, in more than one way. There are organizations like Alpha Point that deliver rehabilitation and training services to people who are blind and people with disabilities all across the country and they depend upon fundraising dollars to be able to do that, uh, whether it be the establishment of an endowment or, or they just go out and, and raise it every year. Uh, Alpha Point does not have to do that that way. And therefore the dollars that we generate are in fact 
uh, used to extend our reach to serve more people. So for example, during the, the pandemic, many of the New York based organizations that serve people who are blind had to um, scale back for all the reasons you just described, Randy, uh, with fundraising. And yet we've been able to extend our reach. We've been able to serve people in Long Island, in the Hudson Valley, when Catholic Charities had to fold its, its blind services programs in, in New York City. That's the power of a business enterprise that is diversified um, and able to do this this way. You know, another thing that, that comes to mind as I uh, think about what you have accomplished with Alpha Point is um, there's a certain amount of control you've had to give up to grow in multiple states and reach more people. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you look at. Well, I could do that better because here's what's in my head, but you've had to take what's in your head and share it across a broader organization to drive the growth you've been able to achieve. How did you, how do you do that? How do you go get comfortable giving up control and handing the ball off to others knowing that it may not be like how you would do it, but it still gets you to your goals. Yeah, so so you, you can see I'm, I'm I'm shaking right now when you said that. Um, no, I you know I, I I think that there there are some people out there in the business community that that uh, different people have said it different ways, but um, you hire great people, you hire smart people, and you give them the authority to be able to go do things. Um, their way, even if it's not the way you do it. You set, you, you make it very clear what the values are of the company. You make it very clear what, what your values are. I'm very clear about that. I'm very clear about what's important to me um, and, and its people. And, uh, and then there are some, some metrics that we, we, uh, we abide by and that we establish. So we, we write a strategic plan. It's a four-year plan. There are clear metrics for that. We scorecard it. We look at it every month. Um, and all the, the leaders of the company um, have to, have to are answerable to that scorecard. Um, so there, there's a way to stay connected that way. But at the same time, um, as, I've, as I've grown in my career, I've, I've known I've had to give things up. And, and COVID, in some respects, was a great catalyst for a lot of leaders to have to do that because we, we all had to live on Zoom a lot more, right? Um, so I'll tell you something that, that makes, that I'm very proud of and tells a lot about how Alpha Point's culture has, um, has, has worked very well. We hired a general manager in January of 2020 in New York, responsible for 160 of our employees there. And three months into his tenure, um, nobody could fly in and out of New York for a while. And everything we did was through, was really through Zoom. And, uh, and he's thrived. He's been tremendous and, and done, a, done a great job. In the midst of that, we're doing renovations of the building. We are dealing with the, uh, the, the culture of, of New York City and the, uh, the differences in how you run a business there than you run it here. Um, and, and he thrived really, really well with, um, if you will, a light touch from Kansas City, uh, providing him with support um, and not getting a heavy hand uh, on, you need to do it this way and my way. And it's, it's done very, very well. So I'm, I'm proud of that. The other thing that comes to mind every time I've had a chance to talk to you or listen to you there are a lot of nonprofits that have a primary cause, but they tend to meander some to whatever's in the news. And so other causes glob on or you get distracted or you're very laser-like focused on our mission as the visually impaired. <laughs> and those other causes are all good things, but you stay very focused on here's who we are and here's what we do. And I tend to think that contributes some to the success so that you don't get distracted. Um, how do you keep a whole organization focused on here's our mission and let's do that really well? Well, I go back to, you know, great people. We hired 
we've, we've, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've, I've hired uh, senior staff that um, we understand exactly what, what the goal is. Um, and we don't, we don't chase the dollars. One of the reasons why nonprofits, I think, have that problem is they'll get a large grant or a donation from an individual. And it might be, you know, it might be several hundred thousand dollars of, of a budget that is a couple of million dollars normally. And with that comes an expectation that that donor or that granting organization's cause celeb is going to be adopted by the party that, that received the money. And so you'll find uh, nonprofits having to bend a little bit to the will of a, of a, of a donor. Um, and, and we don't do that. Um, and, and because our budget is what it is, I don't feel quite as pressured um, to, to do that. Um, that's helped and been an important part of, of uh, our success. And I think the other is um, we've recruited great board members that understand and stay focused on, on those objectives. Um, we did this past year acquire another nonprofit and rather than having their, their mission become ours, we made them a subsidiary. So they have an independent mission and goal and set of objectives. They get management support, payroll, accounting, uh, and, and HR and those sorts of things uh, from, the, from the parent, but they, they have their own mission objectives and they differ wildly from what Alpha Point does. Yeah, you kind of hit right there on a fourth point that I wanted to get to is how do you build a board that's aligned in purpose? You see a lot of boards that are more, uh, you know, maybe people get on because they're resume builders or their popularity things or whatever. And you seem to have strayed away from that and been able to be very focused on what's a board with an aligned purpose. Well, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that I've, I've had, uh, uh, I'm uniformly uh, uh, the, the architect of that. Um, it, it's not quite like that. We, we've been very fortunate to bring on um, board members that, that had a shared vision for what we wanted the board to be. Um, and we really became very intentional in our recruiting efforts. For one, I, I, I want C-suite executives. Why are, why are C-suite executives uh, great on a board? Because they're strategic minded. Uh, they're not interested in, you know, is Johnny's seat comfortable and is he sitting in the right place in the room? That's not their focus. If, if they're worried about that, then they need to replace me. Uh, what they need to be thinking about is, is where are we going? Where, where's the organization gonna go? Where's it gonna be in four years, five years, 10 years? and start making some decisions that way. And then the second thing was um, alluded to the question that was asked before about, about uh, uh, risk management. We, we uh, think about risk the same way you as, a, uh, as an investor would think about risk. Um, it's, it's about making um, informed decisions and being intentional about risk uh, rather than being risk averse. Those, those are two really key objectives for us um, with the board. We wanted it to be a world-class functioning board and we looked for input from organizations like BoardSource and other nonprofits that have, have high-performing boards. I read a lot um, on Harvard Business Review on how boards uh, of for-profit companies perform and have ha introduced those concepts to our board and it's kept them focused on the right things. And as a result, I, I'm, I'm very proud of what we've been able to achieve. Let's go back to Steve. Well, Reinhardt, I, uh, I think you've already answered my question uh, in response to a question or comment from Randy, but uh, you know, Building the next 100 years since you, as an organization, have been around for 110, um, 
you talked about values, culture, people, focus, strategy, uh, and building that next uh, organization or foundation, I guess, for the next 100 years. Uh, is there anything you would add to those earlier comments? Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, one thing that I think is important within uh, the, the field that I'm in is innovation and, and there's going to be medical advances that I'm, I'm quite excited about that have the um, potential of eradicating many types of vision loss uh, problems. And, and, you know, we, we have um, advances in medicine that I think have the potential to, um, to stave off vision loss from uh, diabetic retinopathy. You know, diabetes is one of the two leading causes of vision loss in the United States. We have an incredibly poor diet in this country and mine, mine included. Um, and, and yet we have some tremendous advances, I think. I'd love to see the day that Alpha Point has to evolve and serve a different constituency because blindness is no longer a challenge. If, if that day comes, um, I'm quite confident that um, the, the organization has the, um, the uh, if you will, the foundation to be able to serve a different constituency that's underrepresented and we would evolve to be able to do that. Um, I'd love for us to say blindness is no longer an issue in this country and across the world. Uh, wouldn't that be a great uh, outcome? Let's go to Carolyn. Good morning, Reinhardt. Thank you for uh, sharing your story and, and this evolution, I appreciate it. Like soaking it up and furiously taking notes on a Word file. So. Uh, I appreciate it. So I, I have a question. When you talk about, you mentioned New York, right? And you mentioned Catholic charities in New York couldn't fill the need based on everything you guys did. So my, my curiosity comes from, so for my nonprofit, we're, we have some innovative ideas um, and it is across the country because of the way that we're designed and you mentioned not having to pay overhead. So the way we're designed because it's within domestic violence and there are so many unmet needs in each city. So instead of being a brick and mortar, we are all online where we are a, a neutralizing force that connects the right people to the, those intimate moments when someone can't walk through a brick and mortar. So it's all our content is online, all our therapy is online focused. Um, everything is online. When I go to get grants, they're like, well, what are you specifically doing in Kansas City? Great question. We're worldwide because we do it, you know, we do it in the U.S. and we do training abroad. So I, I, my question is, when you do that, when you started other states, it's because did you have your foundation start up in that state or do you take the services and apply it to people who are already doing the work in that state and you help facilitate it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I, 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 think, uh, I think I understand. In, in, in our case, uh, different than I think the way you're going to, to, to market, if you will, is we, we took over an operation in New York that was foundry. Okay. And so they had 200 employees, about 130 who were blind, and they, they were not going to be able to remain a viable entity in New York. It's hard enough to operate in New York, um, but if you're, if you're just, they, they were struggling. So we agreed to take them over and that gave me, if you will, a, um, um, a, a, a landing spot from which we needed to grow. Um, I, I think different than what you were, you're describing is, we, we then set up shop and we said, okay, we, we want to stabilize what's going on here now and protect the employees. Job one was the, was the people. And in that acquisition, only one part-time blind employee lost their job. I'm really proud of that. Okay. Um, then we added more than 20 jobs afterwards within about a year, year and a half where people are blind. So excited about that. 
At that point in time, our belief was there's other, there's other organizations in the community that already deliver those services. I'm not interested in competing with them. They're already stable organizations in the community. I'm going to provide support to them. I'm going to team with them and partner with them rather than duplicate and dilute the funding community's dollars across a wider number of nonprofits and therefore fewer people are actually served. The pandemic was the catalyst for us to get more engaged in rehabilitation services as those other organizations uh, contracted. That's, that's the way that we did it. And we were able to get community dollars to support what we were doing because we knew that people were, were scaling back. We were going to grow. And that, that's, that's how we did it. It's a little different than I think what you're describing. Um, but I have to think that there are um, funders out there that are interested in an organization that's going to extend its reach. And I, I, I also think it's really interesting for rehabilitation services. Most all services for people who are blind pre-pandemic were provided one-on-one -on -one and, and in-person. And, and many of those funders, including federal and state, now have recognized that remote training is viable and effective. We've had to teach them that. Thank you. I appreciate your answer. Appreciate the work. It might really not make it. me sleep better at night, but I appreciate your answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will tell you, um, the subsidiary, rightfully so, does employ and, and place people with domestic, uh, victims of domestic violence into jobs in the community. So um, if, if there's a way that we can be helpful to your constituency, please let us know. We'd love to be able to do that. We work with Rose Brooks. We work with a number of different groups in the in the community to be able to train and place those people into jobs. Love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Reinhardt, let's talk about the business side of this. Say a business is intrigued and says, okay, maybe I've been closed off to this idea. What are the kinds of services that a business can contract with Alpha Point and help do? You know, where, where's your skill sets? Where, where are you focused? Sure. So first, you know, the easy thing for us is we're a manufacturer. So we, we are an injection molder. I have uh, uh, nine blow mold machines of various sizes and uh, about uh, an, another 10 injection molding machines, anywhere from, uh, you know, uh, I think it's nine ton little pneumatic presses to uh, to a, a 200 ton presses uh, so that we can do a variety of different injection molded components as small as a, as a dime and as big as a, a half gallon uh, bucket. Um, we um, obviously assembly, kitting, things of that nature, something that, that many organizations that employ people with disabilities do. Um, I wouldn't say that's our bread and butter, but we do that. Um, but we, we sell a variety of commodities, everything from mops, brooms, brushes, writing instruments, and we have a, an online uh, retail operation as well. And we offer a call center, a uh, 60-seat contact center that uh, employs people who have uh, different languages, and we are 24-7, 365, so we can be a solution for many customers who need um, someone to be able to answer the phone and take care of a customer or get uh, a lead generation for potential uh, customers. For example, we do um, call outreach to prospective students and their parents of, on behalf of small uh, colleges throughout the country. Um, and we also do that for the state of university system in New York. Um, and our, our folks call and talk to a student about uh, tuition, about uh, financial aid, about uh, curriculum and the like, and uh, have really healthy conversations. Unlike many call centers, ours is a high-touch call center, so we're interested in great conversations, and I, I tell people we have the best listeners in the business because all of them are blind. You're doing awesome work, and uh, I know it's making a difference in the lives of folks. It's an impressive facility to go visit. 
Thank you. See all you're doing there. I appreciate that. I, I will say one other thing, Randy, that that uh, we don't uh, we probably don't talk about enough, but we, you know, we we've been developing our own um, medical devices. Uh, we we developed uh, having an employee works for us that's a former Green Beret medic, and um, and he knew that there were some challenges in the marketplace with existing tourniquets, splints, and other devices that were used on the battlefield, and so we have developed our own. Uh, tactical, mechanical, and tactical pneumatic tourniquets that are used by our soldiers. Close to 400,000 have been fielded already uh, by our soldiers. Um, they were used in a, in a variety of different theaters. And in fact, 2,000 of them are being sent to Ukraine in support of uh, Ukrainians that are, that are uh, uh, fighting for their country right now. So we're really happy to be able to do that. Um, and it allows us to be able to develop our own products and really um, uh, make us a leader in the tactical medical space, which is where we're going. That's an awesome story. And it's, uh, you're creating opportunity and helping others at the same time. That's incredible. And you have patents on that too. So you've had patent generation processes in, in the area of innovation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, tourniquets, a new collapsible splint that's going to be fielded to every soldier in their uh, in their first aid kit. Um, you know, before they just had to find a stick or something, um, and other things that we have coming down the pike very soon. That's amazing. Well, great work. It's uh, it's awesome to know all you're doing, and I know, like Steve said, there's another hundred years to come there. So. Uh, Thank you. Um, you know, Steve has another question here about transportation. You know, that's a, that probably is a, these days that's really important, especially with gas prices. You know, everybody's really interested in transportation, but that is critical for your um, constituents as well, because I would assume they're all not drivers. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, very few blind drivers on the road, which probably is, is to our benefit. Although um, Elon Musk might change that. Uh, in, in years to come. Wouldn't that be exciting, right? Um, so our employees are, are expected just like anyone to, to come to work and, uh, and to, to make it on time. They use public transportation. We teach them how to access public transportation. Kansas City is, um, is a unique public transportation system because obviously we cross a state line and we're in a lot of, a lot of different markets, but that's been uh, consolidated under Robbie Mackinnon who himself, by the way, is blind. So he understood the challenges of public transportation and trying to create a system that was going to work from a wafer to independence uh, and points in between. So that's that's great for Kansas City. New York, as you know, has a really uh, abundant uh, public transportation system. It becomes difficult for rural employees. And as a result of that, um, our ability to employ people um, remotely has been tremendous. It's added, uh, it's extended our reach and, and allowed us to employ a lot more people who are blind um, in their home and their place um, where they feel that they have a, a good network around them of support. So all of those are solutions for us. Uh, we, we don't simply rely on one solution. I will tell you though, Steve, during the midst of the pandemic, um, many people who are blind in New York were very fearful of using public transportation for fear that they were going to contract the virus. And we did provide uh, point-to-point uh, transportation uh, for uh, several months uh, during the, the, the height of the pandemic in New York in order to be able to accommodate that fear and, and, and insecurity that they were experiencing until the, 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 the worst started to subside. Is there an opportunity for a business to come to Alpha Point to find employees who would come work in their business or are all the jobs at Alpha Point? No, we place people who are, uh, in, uh, who are blind into jobs all the time. And we would love to be able to do that. If you, and, and hey, this is, a, this is a time when many employers are having difficulty finding people. I, I just saw a record number in January, 4.3 million people changed jobs in January. So I know that employers are looking for people. 
we have talented people that would love to find jobs. We can't employ all the people who are blind in Kansas City or in New York. I guarantee you there's 150,000 in New York. There's, I think there's 60,000 people that are visually impaired in, in the Kansas City metro area. So uh, 10,000 that are legally blind. And we know a lot of them. And many of them are not employed. So if you would like to find a great employee, uh, call us. We would love to talk with you about how to place somebody into your job uh, that you need filled and see if we can make that work. Most costs of, uh, of, of making a job adaptable for people who are blind are very inexpensive, just a couple $300. So we're not talking about a substantial cost to take on somebody who's blind. And what you'll find is a tremendously talented, capable person that's gonna be highly engaged and very thankful and grateful for the opportunity to be able to work. Well, that is awesome. Thank you, Randy. Great, great conversation, Reinhardt. I really uh, appreciate it. There was a lot to learn here. I know there are folks here that are typing notes that they have learned a lot and wanna meet with you and learn more, so. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it. And thanks for the engagement and for, for all the questions that were asked. And you, you know that you can go to alphapoint.org to get more information about AlphaPoint. And you can certainly contact me. Um, all that contact information is on the website. And I'm also on LinkedIn. We'd love to talk to you about how we can uh, be a partner to you and your business or help you find great employees. We'd love to do that. And if you know someone who's blind or visually impaired that needs help, um, we can provide help and support to you. We have occupational therapists, clinicians and the like who would love to, to help uh, take care of uh, your needs. That's fantastic. Well, keep up the great work. You guys are doing awesome things for the community. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Ryan Hart. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you all uh, later. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye. There's so many great leadership lessons, both in the history of Alpha Point and in the journey of Reinhard Mabry. Hope you enjoyed hearing his story and are inspired to get out and make your own difference in the world. Now get out there and be courageous. Never give up. Be prepared to do something awesome. I'll see you again soon.